Good morning. Great to see you this morning. It's great to be seen this morning. When I was in middle school, we took a class field trip to the zoo because apparently it's highly educational to stare at caged animals. Um, I don't know. And as we're on the bus in the parking lot before we go into the zoo, they give us kind of this set of rules for us that we need to follow. Uh, Rule number one, always have a buddy. You have to have a buddy. You can't go in there by yourself. Don't go anywhere by yourself. Have a buddy. Rule number two, do not climb into any of the animal enclosures. Don't do that. Uh, Rule number three, don't feed the animals. There's signs everywhere, don't feed the animals, feed yourselves. Rule number four, and then that's, this is the kind of all-encompassing last rule that they would always give us, don't do anything stupid. <laughs> Just leave us on the bus, really, because something's bound to happen. So as I'm going through the zoo with my buddy, uh, his name's Rob, and we have our lunches that we've packed. We're walking through, and we're staring at caged animals like you do. We get to this kind of bear enclosure, and it has that kind of classic, you know, you stand at the railing, and then there's a really big pit, and then, you know, there's the bears. Uh, this is kind of like this. I stand, there's a pit, and you guys just have that in your mind. <laughs> this is where we're going, all right? So I'm standing there with Rob. Now, Rob has this huge bag of marshmallows. Apparently he packed his own lunch, but he has this big bag of marshmallows, and he opens it up, and we get this idea. You know what? Bears love marshmallows, right? Now, I don't know where we got this little nugget of dietary wisdom about bears. I'm not sure, but bears love marshmallows. So what we do is, well, we step aside because there's this sign that says, do not feed the bears, and we each take a marshmallow, and we lob it into the bears, Now, I can stand up here and tell you on good authority, bears love marshmallows. (laughs) They lined up at the edge of this thing and just, we emptied the entire bag of marshmallows to the bears. It was awesome. I mean, unless you're a small child, it's a very bad idea. (laughs) We threw all the marshmallows to the bears and they're like, you know, pushing each other out of the way and lunging after these marshmallows, and we thought it was highly entertaining. And so after the marshmallows were gone, we just kind of kept walking, and we get to a couple other exhibits. But then we noticed that, that back at the bear exhibit, there's a lot of commotion going on. We're like, oh, I wonder what that is. So we walk back over, and there's a crowd of people and some zoo employees all staring at bears that are throwing up everywhere. Apparently, bears only love marshmallows in moderation because it made them sick. And the zoo employees are like, does anybody here know what's going on? What, how come this is happening? And I'm sure they're like taking samples of those poor sick bears. And we were like... <whistles> and spent the rest of the day kind of walking around feeling like we were ducking the zoo employees like this. What is it about us that we can stand by a sign that says, don't do something, and our inclination is, oh, seems great. Why are we kind of hardwired to to break the rules? Like when you tell your children, I do not want to hear another sound out of you, that's an invitation for noise. (laughs) You just know it's going to happen. Like if I said, okay, see this door over here on the side of the stage? 
I hope you have a great time here today and uh, connect with God and fellowship well. But whatever you do, do not open that door and go through it. Don't do it. What does that stir in you? <laughs> right? You're like, I, I can't listen to anything else he says now. What's behind the door? Like something stirs in us that makes us want to break the rules, that makes us want to go behind the door, so to speak. Now, is it, is it the command that's bad? Is it the rule that's bad? No, but there's something in us that what we're told not to do, we want to do. And that's the story of Romans chapter 7. This kind of war that rages inside of us when we say, listen, I know what I should do, but those aren't always the things that I do. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to open up to Romans chapter 7, if you want to just grab a Bible out of the pew there, it's on page 1785. And so we're continuing on in our series, Romans, courtroom to the living room. And you need to remember that we spent some time in the courtroom, but where we are right now is the living room. And it's important to remember that we're in the living room as we talk about this war that rages in us and this struggle that we have. And last week, uh, Steve preached from Romans chapter 6, and he talked about how the grace of God has set us free and that we're no longer captives to the law. We're no longer captives to sin. And he told us that discipleship has a destination, and that destination is holiness. It's not heaven, it's holiness, that, that being conformed to the character of Christ. And as we look at Romans chapter 7, we know that the law doesn't rule us anymore, that when we died with Christ, we died to the law. Look at Romans uh, 7 verse 6 there, it says, but now we have been released from the law. For we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. See, there's this old way where we're like, oh, I'm just going to try and obey every single rule, every single command that I find, I'm just going to obey it all. But we understand that we can't do that, and so that leaves us helpless. But he says, you know what, that's the old way. There is a new way to live. And this new way to live is living by the Spirit, not by the law. And then Paul anticipates a question that he thinks that they would be asking. Verse 7, he says, am I suggesting the law of God is sinful? Am I suggesting that the law is bad, that the law is sinful? Which seems like a natural conclusion, right? It seems logical that we've spent weeks talking about all the law and how the law shows us sin and how the law makes us sin more and how bad the law is and ugh. But he says, no, 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 no. Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. Right? That, that when you hear that law, something stirs in you that you want to do that. But the law itself isn't bad. And so I want you to hear that as we start. The commands of God, we're not trying to go against the commands of God. Paul was not saying the law of God was bad. That'd be like Paul saying, you know, the Old Testament is wrong, that the gospel isn't a fulfillment of the Old Testament, that we're somehow going to sever the God of Israel with the God of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17, he said, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law. I came to accomplish the law. 
He, he came to fulfill the law. Paul says in verse 12, he says, the law itself is holy and its commands are holy and right and good. The commands of God are holy and right and good. And we are glad that he has laid those out for us. That he has set those in place for us. As a parent, it's good to set down the law for your kids. You have to lay down the law as a parent. You have to set boundaries. It's a good thing. So that your kids aren't always looking over their shoulder waiting to get punished for doing something because they don't know what it is. When you set the boundaries for your children, that means you've given them all of this open space to play in. And so God has set the law for us, and we need to have an accurate and healthy understanding of what that law is. Steve talked last week about off-road thinking, that you can go off-road one way by saying, well, I'm not, I don't need the law. I'm under grace. I can do what I want to do. That's, that's not an accurate and healthy reflection of the law. And the other side is, well, I'm just going to obey every single rule that I can. But the law has a weakness in that it can't sanctify us. It can't justify us. And that's, that's off-road thinking as well. But you can delight in the commands of God because they're an expression of his will for us. And so we need to have this healthy understanding of the laws of God. They're not sinful. The commands of God are good. And I want to obey the commands of God, but I can't. And I want to do it, but it's a struggle for me. And so my life is like, oh, it's good, and then it's not so good. One of the movies my kids and I like to watch is this Disney movie that has this great clip about kind of this back-and-forth lifestyle that we live. So in the next 60 seconds, you'll kind of hear an encapsulation of Romans chapter 7. Go ahead. I can't believe I did this. I can't believe I did this. I can't believe I did this. Mother would be so furious. But that's okay. I mean, what she doesn't know won't kill her, right? Oh my gosh. This would kill her. This is so fun! I am a horrible daughter. I'm going back. I am never going back! <laughs> I am a despicable human being. You know, I can't help but notice you seem a little at war with yourself here. Right? Does that describe a common experience that we have? Like, yes, it's so great. Oh, it's awful. I feel great. I feel terrible. I'm making progress. I'm falling behind. That's that tension that we find in Romans 7. If you look at 7 verse 14... The trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong, it is the sin living in me that does it. Right? I want to do But I don't do. He describes it again. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. 
I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? I I feel like if we were to kind of have a, a picture of what this struggle looks like, it would look a little something like this. That we have all this stuff that we want to do that's good. Oh, but we have this other kind of garbage that we carry around. And so we're like, well, you know, it's especially awkward in church to be carrying around a large garbage can full of the trash in my life. But you're like, I want to do the good stuff, but I always kind of have this kind of hanging here, and it's heavy, and it's a struggle. And this is sometimes I feel like a picture of how we're living. And we read in in verse 14 where he says, I am a slave to sin. And, And there's a tension there for me because I know that as we've studied this series of Romans, we've talked about other things, right? That we've heard that we're justified, that we have right standing, that we have relationship with the Father, that we're dead to sin and we're alive And we've heard that grace reigns in our lives. And yet, why do we still have all this trash that we feel like we're attached to? I mean, chapter 6, verse 6 says, we are no longer slaves to sin. And then chapter 7, he says, I'm a slave to sin. I mean, honestly, the reality is, here's the reality. We are no longer slaves to sin. But the other reality is, oftentimes, it feels like this. And oftentimes, it feels like sin is winning. And sometimes we're like, yeah, I can do good. And sometimes we're like, oh, I'm just shackled to all of this stuff. There is some hope. He says he's a slave to sin, but he's reluctant and a resistant slave. And so there is this mindset, like if you were in the the tribe of Adam, you you wouldn't even worry about it, right? You you wouldn't even call it sin probably, this is how I'm living. And so there is a little bit of hope in this where you're like, this, I don't like this, I don't want this, I want to be free from this. And he does say in, in verse 17 and in verse 20, he says, I'm not the one doing wrong. It's the sin in me that does it. Which can sound a little bit like, officer, I wasn't the one speeding. It's the sin in me that was speeding. (laughs) Officer, that was my old nature. If you're going to give a ticket, you should give it to my old nature. Not the new me, right? But, But what he's saying is, he's saying, listen, I have a renewed nature. And I also have a corrupt, sinful nature. And those two struggle back and forth. Galatians 5.17, as a matter of fact, says, The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. 
that you have this struggle going on in you, this renewed nature and this corrupt nature. And so the things that you want to do sometimes get hampered by the things that you don't want to do. I mean, when you go before God and you start confessing what's going on in your world and you start confessing the things that you struggle with, do you ever feel like it's the same things? Do you ever feel like 10 years ago you could have written this list of things that I struggle with and you could still use that list today to confess? You're like, seriously, what kind of ground am I gaining? I mean, what are some of those things? Some of those things where you're like, I don't want to do, but they keep happening. For instance, I, I don't want to lose my patience with my children. Or how about, I don't want to look at those websites anymore. I, I want to watch things and, and listen to things that are honoring to God. I, I don't want to hang around that group of people anymore because they take me in the wrong direction. I don't want to spend my money on those things anymore. I I don't want to cheat my family or my friends. I don't want to complain. I don't want to grumble. I, I want to speak positively about my spouse and honor them. I mean, there's these and there's just a whole list. It just keeps going. And these, honestly, they're, they're like they're like zombie sins, right? You're like, I, I thought I killed that thing years ago, but it keeps coming back to life, right? I'm trying to kill it, I'm trying to kill it, and it comes back to life. Why? Why this struggle? Why am I at war with myself? Why is it that I feel like I want to do good things, and yet this is always right here? Steve mentioned last week that crucifixion is a process. That it, it's not always this kind of instant and it's over. That, that there is a process. And so for some of you, that there was pollution in the old way of living. There was pollution in that lifestyle. And sometimes pollution takes a long time to clean up. That the ground takes a while before something can grow up in it again. That, that there is a process that you're still shaking off from the tribe of Adam, the things that you did while you're there. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about sin that so easily entangles. That sin has somehow worked its way into the fabric of everything that we do. Right? You can't just draw a line. You can't be like, okay, this is like the bad stuff that I do, but these are the righteous things that I do. No, that sin has worked its way in. I mean, you can do amazing things for Jesus and still be like, oh yeah, I'm doing those so other people look at me. I mean, you can be absolutely humble and then be like, wow, look how humble I am, right? Now that I have humility, I have everything, right? That the former habits linger and, and they rob us of peace. You know, I believe honestly too, sometimes we struggle With sin, because we don't deal decisively with the sin in our world. That this is this is a big deal, and this is a tough thing. Matthew five, this is the message translation, but listen to how it says this. Let's not pretend this is easier than it really is. If you want to live a morally pure life, here's what you have to do: you have to blind your right eye the moment you catch it in a lustful leer. You have to choose to live one-eyed or else be dumped on a moral trash pile. 
And you have to chop off your right hand the moment you notice it raised threateningly. Better a bloody stump than your entire being discarded for good in the dump. Wow, that's tough. But you know what? We have to deal with sin decisively because here's the deal. Sin steals our joy. Sin ruins our fellowship with God. Sin diminishes our fruitfulness. It robs us of peace. It hurts our witness and it hinders our prayers. Sin is what keeps us from going well in the right direction. It hurts our relationship with God. And you can't just be like, oh, well, listen, I I was born this way. I was just born with some extra baggage. I mean, you don't know my family, right? I mean, they're dragging around dumpsters. I'm lucky to just have a trash can. And you can't be like, well, you know, I read Romans 7. Paul, he was a great man of God, and he struggled with sin, so it's nothing. We have to deal decisively with our sin. When I work with students, we tend to talk about dating a lot. Uh, It's just kind of the season of life where they are. And one of the questions that my students ask me when we talk about dating is they want to know where the line is, right? Where's the line? And they, they want to know, you know, how far physically can they go with the person that they're dating and still feel good about themselves? Now, do you think when students are asking me that question, they're asking me that question because they want to stay as far away as possible? When they're asking the question, it's because they want to know how close they can be and still be comfortable with that. But you know what? Listen to this. It's not how much we can get away with. It's how holy can we be. If discipleship has a destination, and that destination is holiness, it's conformed to the character of Christ. It's it's not about, well, I I can still drag some of this around and be okay. No. How holy can I be? 1 John chapter 2, he says, I write this to you so that you will not sin. He's saying, make it your ambition to not sin. Not like, oh, well, this is just a little bit. It's not a dumpster. It's not a garbage truck. It's just a little bit. No, make it your ambition not to sin. Saying that just a little bit is okay is like going into battle and be like, listen, I just want to get shot, but just a little bit. I just, just shoot me a little bit, not a lot. No, when you go into battle, your ambition is to what? Not get shot. Right? Make it your ambition to not sin. Don't let it hang around. There are things that you can deal decisively with. There are things that have been hanging around for years that you're like, I don't know why it's still there, but you haven't dealt with it. Verse 24 is this kind of cry of despair. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. This miserable is is wretched. And and what it really means, it comes from this word. it, It comes from exhaustion from hard labor. It's this picture he's saying. What a miserable person I am. I am so tired from dragging this thing around and carrying it around. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? The NIV says, who will rescue me from this body of death? 
Some people believe that he was, Paul was referring to the Roman historian Virgil. He lived from 70 BC to 19 BC, and he writes about this king named Mezentius. And Mezentius was this evil tyrant, and when he found people that had rebelled against him and his kingdom and wanted to take him over, what he would do is he would shackle them wrist to wrist and ankle to ankle and face to face with a dead body. It's quite a picture, isn't it? That that you've got this like, okay, I'm alive. This part of me is alive. This part of me is renewed. And yet right here, right in my face, this this is dead. And it's not really me. It's just dead. But who will rescue me from this body of death? Thankfully, it doesn't end in verse 24. Because he says, thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. That honestly, and I can't tell you how glad I am to do this. Oh, there is freedom to be found in Christ. He says, thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ. The answer is in the grace of Jesus Christ. I want to give you some hope in this. First of all, I want to give you the hope that, guess what? This conversation that we're having, this conversation that Paul's having, this struggle that you're having where you feel like you're dragging it all around is happening in the living room. All right? This is not an in or out conversation. If you drag it in and you have it there, it's not like, ooh, wow, trash can, you're out. I mean, you understand what would happen if you were in the courtroom and you were like, your honor, um... I know, I know I have 15 speeding tickets, but listen, what I want to do, I don't do. And then what I don't want to do, I do. That's got to count for something, right? Not at all. You don't really have that conversation in the courtroom, but guess what? You have it in the living room. And as Laura said, it's safe. It's safe to wrestle with these things in the living room. And I also want to remind you of the grace that we talked about, the grace of God, the infinity grace where your sins are never going to amount to anything compared to that grace of God. That Jesus has come to rescue us from this. And I know that chapter 7 is this struggle, but guess what? Chapter 8's coming. Chapter 8 is amazing. Chapter 8 starts with, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. That you, your conscience can't free you, and the law couldn't free you, and your own effort couldn't free you, but because of the person and work of Jesus, that frees you. And because his spirit comes into us, that frees you. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about how to leave this behind by the power of his life-giving spirit. I mean, you can live life dragging around the trash can, but that's not how we were created. 